0: Line like focus chat and chuckle uh, we have hannah here today and uh, melissa is substituting in for joanna this month um, but we're here to talk about nose work with cats um so Hannah, why don't you just introduce yourself to everyone watching and talk a little bit about what you do and why it's cool uh, to start out. (laughs)
1: Sure. Um, My name is Hannah Fushihara. I live in New York State and I run Nosework Cats, the website slash uh, online training class. Um, And I also am a dog trainer like Um, I do that like in person, um, and I've been working with animals for more than I'm looking at the year on my calendar, um, on my desktop now and going, um, for more than 10 years, um, professionally. Um, and I started in shelter work, uh, and Nosework with cats came along uh, a couple of years ago, and I don't know if I should talk about it now (laughs) or if somebody wants to ask me a question about (laughs) it. Um, But I guess I had started with uh, playing nosework with my dog, um, and we had so much fun. And then he uh, passed away from cancer rather suddenly. And we were so into it that, I mean, we were playing every day and we were even going to competitions and everything. And so um, when that abruptly sort of stopped, um, there was a, a bit of a void. And I have had cats um, for, for a really long time, but I had never actually trained any of my cats. Um, and so it gave me an opportunity to sort of shift, shift my focus um to them and uh there was an online uh nose work event for dogs um and all of my friends were participating and I didn't have um a dog to participate with and there was a little bit of lead time going up to the start of the event and so I was like I can figure out how to do this with my cat And you know, like if everybody like just laughs at me or whatever, it doesn't really matter. I'm just gonna try to have fun. And so um, I was always, I was already in uh, the habit of uh, videotaping everything anyway that like I would do with um, my dog for training purposes. So I was already, uh, so I was videotaping at all of what I was experimenting with with my uh, cat Muncho. And um, he just took to it so well. (laughs) And it's such a wide topic that um, there's so much room for experimentation that um, I didn't have to do it a a certain way necessarily. And so um, it just gave me an opportunity to just figure out what might work best for at first my cats and then Uh, When I started thinking that it might be good for other people and their cats, because there wasn't as much available as there is for dogs, Um, I just was trying to figure out then, like, you know, how could I have this uh, be understood by other people, especially just, you know, through video and online, so...
2: So it all started because of Derek, your dog, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I love following all the things you did with Derek. I'll never forget the videos of him like skateboarding and doing all these crazy things. And it must have been quite a hole that was left there. And, yeah. um, and Muncho took up that. <laughs> that role in your life. I think that's so crazy and amazing and wonderful. Um, Before we go any further, I know there's probably a lot of folks who just want to know what is nose work or what, you know, sense sports
1: are. Sure. So um, it basically started um, as it came from like the real life activity of uh, scent detection. Um, and so we all can kind of imagine dogs who are searching for something for humans. Um, and it can be so many different things. It can be people, it can be uh, things uh, for law enforcement, um, like mm-hmm. contraband of all sorts, um, uh, com- conservation purposes, so like uh, invasive species. Um, and that can be plants or animals. Um, And there's just basically any, anything with a distinct smell, which we can't really, you know, figure out with our own noses, but any, any kind of substance that basically like emits some kind of odor is going to be specific and even like mixtures. So um, because some animals have uh, much better uh, noses than we do, we can sort of Uh, get them to understand that like when you find this you get a reward and that's basically just what it is and so we can expand that or sort of crunch it down so just as an example like people always ask me um, how much space that they need and so you could play especially with a small animal so whether that's a dog or a cat I mean like finding an odor like in like a very small room like that's completely like possible and also still we can make it difficult for the animal also even though it's a small space it doesn't have to mean that like you're uh doing some kind of uh really large search (laughs) like in a warehouse (laughs) or something like that or like on a trail trying to find somebody um it's just an animal using their sense of superior sense of smell to uh either air nose work is usually maybe more about air scenting meaning like they're capturing the odor that's available in the air as opposed to tracking which is uh where somebody might have put their feet on the ground and the dog is uh looking down with their nose um so maybe more air air scenting so air nose up um but that's basically the gist of like nose work like just finding something that that either the animal or the human would like um, and receiving a reward for that.
2: Cool, yeah, I um, I was lucky enough to have uh, had you coach our staff in the nose work for cats and everybody was so inspired by it. Um, everybody remembers you and even our- <laughs> don't usually work with cats at the shelter, um, it changed our lives. Uh, can you maybe share with some folks what kind of, uh, benefits there might be to nose work with their cats at home
1: sure so what I and I guess so the way that I teach it um, I'm just teaching uh, people to use food um, just so that there isn't it it isn't necessary for me to teach them any kind of uh, marker training type mechanics so people don't necessarily need to know uh good timing in marking a behavior and reward delivery um and so it really is a hands-off activity and what what i'm what i'm trying to teach people to do is to observe their animal and maybe through observation uh trying to figure out what they're experiencing in the moment so that then for their search that they're setting up. So, you know, you'll do one search, watch the animal and then see what they're experiencing and then take that information and set up a new search for them, like the next rep. And so, unless you train your eyes and your brain to sort of watch the animal work and sort of take in what they're experiencing, then you won't do a good job of setting up the next search for them afterwards. So, like. The part that I find really uh, beneficial for the human is just you get a chance and like, you get a chance to actually just observe and sort of try to figure out what the animal is thinking. And we don't really take that opportunity a lot of times, like we just want them to do something. (laughs) And so-
2: Yeah, it sounds like you could really learn um, skills that would benefit your relationship with your cat by yeah. doing the nose work because you kind of get used to watching them more if you haven't already been doing that. And I know a lot of people from working with with caregivers in, in my line of work, I know that a lot of people live with cats day in and day out. They don't, um, you know, really look at them and kind of see what they're experiencing. So can you tell us some like geeky uh, things that you would see to be able to understand, you know, how a cat is, uh, searching, you know, what they're, what they're sensing?
1: Yeah. So like, there are a bunch of things, but for example, like, um, if a cat knows that they're, uh, coming into an area to search for their treat or whatever, um, they usually will be moving at a certain pace and then either they will stop or they might turn a direction. And even just like a detail of like, the cat was going one way and then they turned and went a different way. I mean, like it's such a simple detail, but like that already gives us information that maybe they sensed something. And so that's why they turned. Um, You might even just uh, watch the cat. Some cats are a little bit less sort of like overtly sniffing. Like, you know, you can see them go. um, Sometimes they're actually just doing it in motion, but obviously like, it's you might see a cat doing that. And a lot of times cats will actually stop and then do that and process the information. So what I've been noticing is just that uh, cats, at least that I've seen, like they tend to stop motion when they're trying to decide something. And it's not for every cat, but like I've seen a lot of cats do that, including Muncho. Um, So, like, if he has a question and he's trying to process, like, the information and decide on either a direction or something, he might actually just stop motion as opposed to, like, continuing to move. Um, So that's actually something that I've noticed. That's a good point, because
2: I think a lot of times people might see their cat stop making progress and think, oh, well... They're just not interested or, you know. This That's is what
1: a- I get a lot. And so like I've been telling people, like you really have to, like if your cat stops and like it doesn't seem like they're interested, like to actually take a bunch of breaths, like maybe like three or four and like breathe in and out like a few times and make sure that they don't then like the cat then might be like, oh, I got it. And then sort of beeline to where their hide is. Um, and I think that's probably similar with like if you're trying to train them through clicker training or whatever, that maybe like the cat isn't responding. I've actually been watching, whenever I watch um, other trainers um, who are, uh, and it could just be like somebody at home, but like doing some clicker training with their cats, um, a lot of people seem to re-cue the cat to do something when I'm looking at it, just from like what I've experienced with the nose work, and like, I'm thinking like, no, just wait, you don't have to re the cat. I'm pretty sure like they're just processing. Um, so that's just been really interesting. Like knowing now what I've sort of found through nose work, watching other trainers in different areas, training their cats um, and like sort of seeing it with different eyes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that could probably make you all around a better trainer doing nose work, let's say you just, um, not just, but if you're just training, (laughs) um, I don't know, uh, tricks, or if you're working on manner stuff, um, you can become a better trainer overall if you are doing nose work and just you know, learning to watch your cat.
1: And I guess since like, maybe like most of the people that'll be watching this are our trainers themselves. Like I can also say, so like it's also observation, but also um, like getting really good at antecedent arrangements. <laughs> because basically like your search setup is exactly that. So like I'm trying to make it so that um, the search setup is uh, easy enough for the animal to figure out but just stretches their skills. Mm-hmm. And um, so I put a lot of thought into each uh, search, so. Ooh,
2: yeah, do you have any cool stories about how, you know, um, considerations for antecedent arrangement, um, you know, made some, uh, defined kind of the success or failure of an attempt?
1: Um, well, so basically what I just tell people is because we don't have um, the noses that the animals do, like I can always imagine that a search is going to go a certain way and that it doesn't because like the airflow in that room just wasn't doing what I thought it was going to do. Um, and so then, you know, like I was saying that, like, sometimes we have to sort of wait and see whether or not like the cat uh, actually is going to be working rather than like, you know, they've given up. But when I do realize that like the whatever I've set up is just not working or like too difficult, um, then just stopping for a second and then actually like putting my cat away for a second, like in another room or whatever, and just looking at it and going, okay, so what can I do? So it's just, it's been really great in having my brain have to do that so often. Um, And I've just found that with my dog training clients, I've just been um, trying to be smarter also, um, either for their dog or for the person (laughs) because of that. So I've been paying more attention to that um, just in general.
2: Yeah, so uh, here's a question from Bonnie. Bonnie wants to know what are the steps to starting nose work with cats, especially in a multi-cat home?
1: Ah, so let's just talk really quickly about the multi-cat thing. So because this is actually something that a lot of people um, ask me because they're like, "I'm not going to be able to get the cat separated and quiet." Um, but I think that it's a nice opportunity to sort of maybe do that. So, um, a, if you don't if you don't need it to be a training exercise, and what I mean by that is. Um, a lot for the human. So um, the training is the human being able to observe and change themselves like for learning uh, what to do next. Um, And so if you don't care that you're not training and you just want to, for example, have like a enrichment uh, activity for your multiple cats to do at the same time, if they're not gonna be fighting, over food and getting nasty with each other then we can just you know like place some treats out like out in a room and they can all find it they can all find it at the same time find the multiple treats at the same time um and if they don't get all of them it's not a big deal um because it's not a our intent is not a training exercise it's for enrichment so if they don't find all of them and you can't watch all of them, not a big deal. Um, I will say that uh, if a, if two cats get to the same treat at the same time and you observe them, you will find you know that like one is gonna be like, okay, it's all right, like maybe you can have that one. Um, and so that's gonna happen. And so depending on like the relationships within like your cats, um, that may or may not be something that you want to happen. Um, but at my house, I have two cats and I can do that. And it's not a big deal. Um, Just know that for me, like, I think that that's just like a really nice enrichment activity and not necessarily training per se, but if you wanted to do training um, with multiple cats, um, either you can get them used to being behind uh, closed doors and even like, giving them a snuffle mat or something. So the person, the person, the cat that's waiting can be playing with a snuffle mat with a couple of treats in there just so that they have something to do. Um, Or I have uh, clients that uh, have carriers and they're just getting all of their cats used to their carriers. So they have the cats that are waiting their turn in their carriers. Um, And again, like it's a really nice opportunity to actually practice like, your carrier is actually a really nice place to be because you go in there and then we play nose work and then you wait a little bit and you play nose work again um because a lot of times it's not that much fun to do carrier training
2: <laughs>
1: but in this that's context for the cat <laughs> but but you're,
2: you're pre-macking the the uh
1: exactly
2: yep the crate training cool
1: yeah um, do you so that's i would say
2: just talking about multiple cats uh, at the shelter, we often use um, social facilitation to train cats together. But yeah. I wonder if that's problematic in nose work because you're kind of exposing them to the scent. If you're so, if you're having one cat watch another cat uh, work on a on a find, um, you know, the cat who's watching is exposed to the scent and not really getting any. Uh, not uh, able to search for it, Would uh, would that be a problem?
1: So because like for me, I'm always just training with food with cats. So I'm not training with a trained like odor that doesn't have a inherent value like that I've had to build up. If I had to build it up, so let's say like just like a dog. So if I had to, if I was using a birch smell like odor, Um, for the cats, then uh, maybe like it might be somewhat frustrating. Um, And if that were the case, I mean, again, like we could have like a snuffle mat inside their carrier also, and just have them be doing something else. And then we can, you know, during when that cat comes out, they can play. Um, So it kind of just depends, I guess. And I'm not sure whether or not like the the social facilitation for nose work would really sort of matter that much in the sense that like watching, cause they would be watching a cat like problem solve from where the other cat is. Like I always think of it as a geometry, Like, like the cat is here, the hide is here, the odor is moving it this way, And so it's almost sort of like this triangulation kind of thing that's happening. And so when this cat intersects this, what are they going to do? So I'm not sure if like if you're not if the other animal that's watching isn't in the moment, sort of like experiencing the same thing. I'm not sure that that they would understand what was even happening, if that makes sense.
2: Hmm. I guess um, when social where social facilitation is concerned, it just kind of and it's not really teaching the observer a specific uh, behavior, but it's yeah. kind of increasing their motivation. Yeah. And so, so yeah. like if you had a cat present, it would increase the um, desire of the act. The work.
1: me too, I want to do it too.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm curious about that. Speech, speaking of birch, have you ever tried um, a different scent with cats?
1: I have tried catnip because I'm, I'm personally a lazy trainer. And so a um, building up a value for an odor that means nothing. um, It actually can take a good amount of time to at least mean to mean enough that it can overcome some distractions. So like, uh, with catnip, my cats, My cats uh, like catnip, so like I can use it. The only issue is just that once they sort of encounter it and sort of start to roll all over it, then they're kind of like blissed out for a while and don't necessarily want to do the next rep. Um, And also what I found (laughs) is just that uh, the the oils from like the catnip will get on the floor or whatever it was touching. And then that whole area is contaminated. um and so even if i take that away like the cats are sort of mingling around like that area going "Mm, i still smell it so then like that whole area i'd have to change it so it's just that that so it's not good for multiple repetitions it can be fun for just like doing something different you know um but uh yeah that's the only thing that i've personally tried because like i said i'm lazy and it Like I'm not, I'm, I'm just trying to have fun and I'm not that interested in the training mechanics of like the cat got to the birch. I need to mark or come in and reward the the cat. Like there's sort of like, once we get into that whole thing, like it's, there's a mountain of other questions that sort of need to be like either asked and solved between the human and the, and the animal that I kind of just like, that's, if there was a reason for me to do it, I I totally would. And I know that other people do, but I, I like the problem solving aspect of like the scent of something is out there. How can you figure out how to get it? Like that is the part that is most interesting to me. And so that's the part that I tend to focus on.
2: I think it's so funny that you say that you're a lazy trainer, but you commit so much brain power to like creating these scenarios for the cat to solve. And so, I don't know, I think I, I'm not sure if I agree with you.
1: I think it's just so like, I'm a lazy trainer when it comes to things that I I don't, I'm not that, I'm not that interested in, I guess. I am I can uh, devote lots of my brain power to anything that's like really intriguing, so Plus, like
2: to be fair, for everyone who's listening, I've known Hannah for a while, and um, Hannah used to volunteer at the municipal animal shelter where I used to work in New York, and like for hours and hours almost every day. I feel like you were there almost every day. <laughs> it's not lazy. Um, oh, Bonnie wants to know if the cats get a chance to sniff the find item before it's hidden.
1: Good question. Um, I personally start with, so when I start teaching cats, I make it so easy that they're not going to get it wrong. So um, like the first exercises are literally just um, my cat is in my waiting area and there's a bowl, one bowl of food, like, you know, uh, sort of, let's say like three or four feet from their waiting area. They come out, they go to it, they eat it. Um, and then I make it just slightly more difficult um, each repetition that I'm doing after that. So, not just one bowl, there's two bowls, and each of them have food. There's three bowls, there's food in each of them. So, you can, the cat can't get it wrong. And then I start to make it so that maybe there's only one bowl out of multiple bowls that have uh, food in it. Um, so, to a certain extent, um, I'm just priming the animal to know that the cue that they're going to be searching for food is uh, waiting in the waiting area, whatever that is. So for my cats, it's like um, a carrier. And so when they're in the carrier, at least like inside the house in a certain area, that means basically it's nose work time. Um, and so I don't have them necessarily sniff it because. Um, I'm just using food or treats that like they inherently would like anyway. Um, so if they can kind of smell it, it's, they can go look for it. So you, as since you started
2: out with dogs, I'm really curious yeah. about, um, you know, what the difference has been in your work with cats and dogs or what what do you do to kind of, to, to make nose work more cat friendly if you do anything?
1: Um, there are a couple of things. So like the way that I uh, trained my dog is completely uh, not completely different, but um, I, I I was working with uh, a trained odor or or multiple trained odors, right? So birch, um, anise and clove. Um, And I specifically for Derek never wanted him to actually search for food because of who he was, because He was the type of dog that um, he was also a therapy dog. Um, But for example, we were at a um, elementary school and all these kids were surrounding us. He was on a leash and I was talking to them and it was in the cafeteria. I sort of was focusing on talking to the kids for a second. And there was a um, garbage can behind me with uh, chocolate milk that had been spilled. Like all the kids like taking all their milk that they didn't sort of like finish at lunchtime and dumped it in there and all of a sudden like he was like ah mom is not paying attention and then he went like this and like went head first into the the garbage can like that's the kind of dog that he was like he would be like uh he he doesn't he would do anything for food and so um I specifically wanted to not train him to ever search for food so I had to teach him to value the odor first, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. and then have him search for the odor. Um, So that was really different um, in the sense that I had to do it that way for him, or I chose to do it that way for him. Um, And because I was training towards, uh, at the time, potentially being able to go to a, a competition eventually, um, that means that I also need to be able to read him well enough that uh, I could call alert, meaning my dog has found the odor, and I think this is where it is. Uh, will you say yes or no, <laughs> right? Um, and so that that also complicates like how you are going to train the animal. So, um, I needed to needed to, be able to know that he wasn't just, for example, uh, saying, Well, it's kind of near here, so just give me the treat. It had to be more specific. And um, I trained a specific uh, kind of a specific behavior for him. It was just put your nose where it as close as you can and then hold it there. So there were a bunch of more moving pieces to the whole sequence that I was training. Um, And knowing how much time and effort I had to put into that to get that to look the way that I wanted, um, I kind of went the opposite way with cats. And that was partially just because of my own personal experience. Like I just wanted to, I wanted to do something that was not that, um, so that it was just more about having a really good time and not worrying about the the details of things that were more towards making the training behavior look kind of (laughs) sexy i guess (laughs) um so uh i also you know when i made the curriculum i wanted it to be uh easy for anyone who has never trained an animal to sort of get right And so, and especially if I'm not there in the moment and it's just a uh, self-paced class, I wanted it to be very simple for somebody to get right. Um, And so uh, there aren't a lot of human uh, instructions like that I'm giving the human to do in the moment um, because then they can't get something wrong, (laughs) Um, if that makes any sense.
2: Sure, absolutely. So it's kind of like letting the cats kind of do their natural thing. That's what yeah, it is. Cuz they like.
1: have their good noses.
2: Yep, and setting them up for success and then also just kind of teaching people to just stand back and let them do their thing.
1: Exactly. Yep. Well, right.
2: cool. I love it. So has uh, working with cats in this way made you or has it benefited your dog training cuz I know you do work with both dogs and
1: cats. Yeah, the thing that I've actually noticed, which I kind of started to mention before, was just, um, I'm really heavily putting more focus on antecedent arrangements, making things easy for the human. Like I always type up um, notes for my clients after their sessions with like their little homework notes. And I've tried to make it less detailed, like, and, make it sort of easier for them to get it right. Um, and that's sort of like definitely from working with like uh, the way that I'm working my whole cat thing.
2: So you've gotten better at kind of setting people and their and their animals up for success. I'm trying.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think a lot from dog trainers where they're just like
0: training cats has made me a better dog trainer because they're a lot less forgiving and teach you to be patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have one more question um, with cats. And I think you talked about it just briefly, but are you using any other scents with them, like trying to pair scents besides food or catnip? Like essentially, I guess, any any future of cats doing any actual like scent, scent work beyond enrichment in the home?
1: So like uh, people always ask me that question every single time and what i would say is a yeah like so we can use the pairing method which is uh something that they use in dog training as well which is just um we have like the odor that you want the animal to search for and let's just say it's in a, a little tin or a sleeve um whatever it is um and then you can place like some food on top of it right and then place both of that so the thing that they're that we want them to have value for and then the food um, somewhere and when they get they get to that uh new odor the food is there anyway and they've been smelling it too um then they just eat it and then they get rewarded and then you can come in as a human and reward them more from your hand also so that they're actually at the uh Odor that we're trying to say, hey, this is something that you should value because whenever the smell is available, you're going to get rewarded. Um, So we can take that and uh, do the same thing with cats if we we wanted to. And that would probably be the the simplest way to do it. You can do it the way that I was kind of explaining that I trained my dog to do it also. Um, But that would sort of be the natural progression, I think. Um, My only question to people who ask me that is, why do you want to uh, teach a different scent than food? And so uh, the, the answers that I can kind of imagine that makes sense to me are, A, uh, I want to uh, eventually do blind hides, meaning you don't know where it is, and so the animal has to tell you where it is, and then you go in and reward. So if you ever wanted to do that, then this would be sort of like a great uh, reason. Um, Another reason might be, and a lot of people now have cats that go um, out on leash and go to uh, places off of their property. So if you ever wanted to play nose work off of your property where you're not sure like what's on the ground or like hidden somewhere, you wouldn't want them to pick up like some kind of food, like, you know, on, on their hike or walk, mm-hmm. but you wanna play nose work there. Like I can imagine that that would be a good reason to like train like a different scent that then they have to look for. Um, but I would also just say that the thing that I've, I've gained in my nose work experience is just that searching for food is the exact same thing as like, searching for a different odor like the way that the animals processing like the triangulation of everything and so uh i used to i think i used to think that it was somehow lesser than and now i don't um and so i would just ask that like cat could, can your cat already do all of this stuff like i have Um, On my YouTube page, uh, there's a a specific video that I think I wrote like something like um, cat nose work, like elite level search or something like that. And that's one of my students, uh, Huey, who is amazing. He's searching a whole like ground floor of a house. And I think there's maybe three hides and he does such a good job of like figuring out the problems that's going on for just those three hides in a whole like one floor like house. Um, that if your cat can do that, then sure. Like I can understand, like maybe you wanna have another challenge, I guess. But mm-hmm. I guess, uh, I don't know. Like I've, I've gone like the other way around going like, this is actually the same thing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I wonder if it would be helpful for diabetic cats. Like there was, um... There was a talk uh, recently we had about like some challenges about uh, training or working with diabetic cats, mm-hmm. and they can be so 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 food motivated, kind of like Derek. Yeah, uh, I wonder if that would be challenging, and you'd want to work with something different because they might be, you know, just bringing you to the cabinet where the food is. Or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. For blind hides, so does that mean that you would want to? teach your cat uh, a way to indicate yeah where that is so um how would you do that for example
1: um so like I was saying like the natural progression of what I currently teach would then be to pair like the hide the food with the hide and then so the part that like you have to then decide as a human is like so do you want a quote-unquote natural indication, which is kind of just like whatever the animal's gonna do when they're like, "I gotta get in there, get
2: mm-hmm. as
1: close as possible, whatever that means," um, or maybe like the the animal decides that their natural indication is to look like look sort of where it is and then look back at you. That's kind of what a lot of dogs do because they're anticipating that the person's going to then come in and feed them. Um, Or do you want like something that's really trained, like a, you know, like nose hold at it or like, I don't know. I don't know if you actually want a paw sweat with a cat, but like, I mean, (laughs) it can be anything, right? Like do X when you get there. So like, it kind of depends on like what you would want, like if it's very specific, like from the beginning, or do you want to go with whatever the the cat um, will naturally do when they get there? Right. Um, or like a
2: specific behavior. Like I, I heard that, you know, the, I don't know, you guys probably heard of a uh, popo, the giant rats that they used to sneak yeah, out landmines yeah, yeah. so and some cool. of them like twirl around when they, they're indicating, or mm-hmm. I don't know if they sit down or, I but I, I know that they twirl sit. around like, oh my God, I love giant rats. And the idea of a giant rat, like, <laughs> wow, I'm so cute. Um, I I got a question that's getting texted to me because apparently some people are having trouble asking questions on the Facebook, um, but it kind of goes along these lines um, about whether you've ever used a scent that turned out to be an aversive or was just like, mm. no, like there's, if there was a food that was just gross or just not desirable.
1: Yeah. So like, I always tell people that it's really good to start with like a taste test. So like, I always think that that's sort of the best way to figure out like what your cat would want. Like, so like you imagine that, I don't know, your cat would want to look for these crunchy treats um, more so than, I don't know, like these wet treats or vice versa. Like you can maybe put out like three or four different ones, like a little bit further apart. So maybe like one's on a little plate or bowl here, one here, one here, one here. And then go, okay, which one would you like? And then just observe. And then if you're not sure, then you do a, you know, round two and move them around and see whether or not like the cat goes to the same one like first over and over again. Um and does the cat go, hmm, this one, nah, no thanks. Like we can do it that way.
2: Okay. So like a kind of reinforcer preference.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever start
0: them out with like a stinkier food, like one that smells more, or do you find that like they will just be, they're just able to sniff out like a hard, a hard tree? I had just, I'm having trouble conceptualizing like how good their smell, a sense of smell is.
1: Yeah. So that's a really great question. So, uh, they, their noses are very good, um, to a certain extent. So Uh, How good is hard to say exactly, but um, any food that, if any food is going to have enough odor in a relatively, let's say, like small amount of space for you to try, and uh, if a cat is sort of not really getting it, or like, let's just say It's on like a chair seat or something. Like you put a crunchy treat, like on a chair, chair seat, and you let your dog, your cat out, and they're just sort of wandering around, not really sure. Most likely it's just that the way that the scent is sort of like falling low enough or towards the cat is difficult for the cat to understand which direction it's going. And so you just want to do it in small enough steps where you're sure that the cat can smell it. So that's why like, I want to do it so easy that, you know, if I wasn't sure if they could find the crunchy treat, it's literally smack dab in the middle of the room, very, very obvious even to their eyes, and then slowly taking away the things that sort of help them look for it with their eyes so that then I can start to see that they're using their nose to try to find where it is. So then like the progression might be, it's not in a bowl anymore, but now it's like at the bottom on the floor of like a chair leg. And can you just find that? And it's only five feet away from where you started. Um, And if they were having trouble with that, then yeah, we can definitely like make it more obvious by either using something really stinky, Or more of what it was. So if, for example, if the cat can only eat one type of food and can't eat like treats or anything, um, you can still use their regular food, but maybe just more in one spot for like their hide or something like that.
0: Do you find that their natural response is to look for it first? Uh, As someone who has never done any type of nose work, do they look for it first or do they pick up that they're supposed to use their nose pretty fast?
1: I think it depends on the cat. So I have uh, students who have uh, blind cats, and they obviously are navigating with their noses a lot already. And so uh, they so they obviously just sort of are using their nose um, to find things more just from the get go. Um, and I think maybe like uh, cats that are sighted um, might you know, part of their brains might be thinking like I should look for it or even like listen for something. Um, but then once they get used to, oh, like this game is about our nose and trying to, you know, find it with like scenting, then they start to really start to use it more. Um, and you can start to tell that they're using it more too, just from I, the, from watching them.
2: I love the idea of blind cats doing nose work. Did uh, Did you notice that there was any advantage like did the blind cats do better at nose work or or maybe um does it does doing nose work help blind cats kind of navigate their environment?
0: I have um, a blind cat and I'm already thinking that he would be better at this than my other cat. <laughs> as soon as you mentioned that, I was like, yes. Yeah, but you so tell, I, you tell us.
1: <laughs> I would love and Laura, if you try this, I would mm-hmm. love to know how your cat does. Um, because like my pool of blind cats is very small. (laughs) And so, uh, those cats are really food motivated to begin with. And so it's really hard for me to say like, but they're amazing. Like they can find like their one little treat in like this really like, you know, spacious, like living room slash hallway, dining room, like everything put together, um, Mm -hmm. perfectly fine. Uh. Without
0: using their eyes, so hijacking the conversation real quick. Good. First, personal question: um, He is that type of like dumpster diving, like trash can cat. Like he is <laughs> very, very, very into food. Um, I'm just thinking. I know. So we're gonna we're gonna put him in a waiting area, mm-hmm. and then make it really easy. I was just wondering if there would be any benefits to teaching him a different scent means the food because he's very grabby but it, I forgot that we'd be like putting him somewhere first because I'm thinking like he would never let me hide anything from him. Yeah. yeah
1: yeah. Um, I really would recommend that people try it with food first just because the the ramping up of like the actual, actual searching, um, for just an odor and not food, it takes a long enough time to add value to the other odor that if you're not sort of dedicated to that, like, it's almost sort of like wasted time to me at least. Like, I think that you can get more out of like the activity and the cat can get more out of the activity if you just focus on the food part. But like you said, like, because we're not having to hand them anything. And also we're putting them in a waiting area. Like it's all pretty hands-off. So like you sh- it should
2: work. Okay, uh,
0: gonna try
2: it. You know, um, I'm just wondering about how, you know, I'm sure you've heard that nose work has this therapeutic value for dogs. I mean, I've read that all over. And because of that, we use nose work at the animal shelter where I work, Um, but have you, is there the same, is there the same thing that happens with cats? Have you ever, I know you don't do behavior consultant work, but do you ever work with cats with uh, some behavior issues that are, um, you know, that are positively affected by the fact that they do nose work?
1: Well, so I was working with a shelter, um, our companions in Connecticut, And uh, A, one thing that is nice about uh, nose work is because it's hands off, um, you can do it with shy cats that like, as long as they can eat in your presence, but like not be sort of like actively engaged directly with you, like they can still play. And so A, like that's one nice thing that like, um, it can be an activity that a human and a cat can do, even if they're Uh, not a hundred percent sort of like uh, willing to be fully engaged with the person and or if they are um, easily frustrated or sort of bitey grabby like swati like because the food is out in the environment and not coming from your hands like again it's like something that you can play with the cat um, and get them to refocus into the environment and not with your hands or your legs or whatever um and so you're playing that way and so that's a really nice um thing that uh nose work can be for also um i do think that it's still like with dogs um it's mentally challenging enough um especially if you're sort of good at like making it just a stretch for their skills a lot of the times um and uh And so they're actually working out a problem. Like, I think it's definitely good for uh, quote unquote tiring them out in that way or just fulfilling their needs for some kind of challenge. Um, And so it's a nice sort of uh, accompanying activity to like the other things that are more like, you know, like playing with a wand and stuff like that. Um, I think it's a nice other activity that like the cats can do with a person.
2: Yeah, fearful cats, that's like my cup of tea. And uh, it never occurred to me using nose work with those guys. But I think I would consider adding that to the enrichment of uh, to the Frady cats at our shelter because um, it would help the cats associate you with this, um, like problem solving, like activating that their cerebral cortex, um, getting food of course, that's all super important, and that might speed along the process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, that reminds me. So for shelters, and you did work with us, and and our cats in our rooms. Tell tell us a little bit about um, your experience with the shelters in general. So are you working with cats in rooms generally, or are you? Um, you know, can you do nose work with cats in a more confined space? I I know that a lot of cats and shelters live in smaller spaces. Is that something that you would recommend?
1: Yeah. So um, my only experience has been with Friends for Life and also with um, our companions and our companions. I did a lot with and we did like almost like a year of back and forth with video. But their situation is different because uh, their setups are like rooms and either I think the cats either live uh, doubled up um, or with if they don't necessarily get along with other cats just singly. And so it's easy to either do basically not have to um, change my instructions for home cats um, for them, but in like sort of like a cat condo situation. I was just uh talking with different people about like the possibilities of that also. Um and so if they especially have like the newer cat condos that have like the two areas and like maybe like the a little area that then you can close off and then so the cat is in one area, um mm-hmm. then that would be really easy to sort of like do it that way. Like if you can either get a cat to target or whatever on one side so that you can move them and then shut it and then set up something on the other side even in like a you know cage space like i was just thinking even if you're not putting using the floor space i mean uh if you sort of like imagine even like stringing up something and then having like a couple of things that maybe like are visually hanging and like we just one has like a treat on it or something i mean that could be a way or i've been thinking like uh could we suction cups something to like the walls of the cage on the inside you know and use the wall space as like a search space like that could be an idea mm-hmm. um but like i I would need somebody to basically just work with me on like some ideas because I'm, I'm where I am, I'm not able to go and volunteer that often, but if it was remotely, I could. Um, and so if anybody out there wants to figure this out. <laughs> yeah, do that with us. Cause I was thinking, awesome. yeah, most of our cats live, I mean, we do
2: have cats in rooms, but occasionally, um, you know, the cats that, if they're on like a special diet and they have to be separated, um, they're in these condo spaces, but it's really easy to, um, to, you know, kind of close off their access to one area to Mm -hmm. set up something. So I'm really curious and, or, you know, for, for, uh, medical reasons, a cat might not be able to have out time or you know we have some cats who are leukemia positive and yeah. so where they can go is extremely limited mm-hmm. um but that would be something that we could potentially do with those cats so yeah that sounds really exciting
1: Yep, yeah. i can't wait I to hear does, about
2: this at i conference. just
1: need somebody to help me
2: yeah no d- let's do that together that yeah. sounds exciting um so we had a couple more questions from Bonnie. Um, this one's really interesting. Have Hi, you... Bonnie. I don't think I
1: know you, but I, I'm uh, enjoying your questions.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. I want to see what Bonnie does with this. Like, are we are going to have a cat? Like, like, Bonnie's asking if you've ever trained a cat um, to do specialized work, like rescue work,
1: drug-finding. Drug-finding
0: <laughs> <anything. laughs> <laughs> cat sounds like a Disney movie.
1: I have not. Um, I was just saying before, um, every, before we went live, um, that I'm very, uh, just, uh, nose work specific cat trainer and, um, that my, the scope of it is basically just what I've been doing. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. So Bonnie, you're gonna, um, be showing us your drug finding cat, right? <laughs> I can't wait. Oh, I got texted uh, from uh, our behavior volunteers. Yes, I love the idea of nose work and kennel and already knows which cats we're going to be working with. So, (laughs) and then people says, I want to try this more intentionally with toy related scents. Mm. So her cat Gypsy is super good at this already and seems to enjoy the hunt, but it's not an activity I do on purpose. Mm -hmm. I don't know if she is smelling the feathers or her own saliva or what, but she is fierce in hunting down where her toys are hidden. Oh, interesting. If you
1: experiment with it, I would love to see whatever you experimented with. Yeah, Crystal,
2: get video and um would be really cool if gypsy could find like different toys and discriminate against them yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be so cool um and then bonnie says when you're using when you're only using a scent like birch mm-hmm. what do you put that on and do you click and reward when they find
1: it so i'm i personally don't do that with cats and so if if you wanted to do that, you can experiment on your own and tell me about your findings. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if so, there's uh, with essential oils, and I'm not an expert op- at on this, but I know that there's uh, some information that cats are more uh, sensitive to essential oils. Correct? Yeah. Then like dogs or whatever. So uh just know that uh for dogs, um the amount of actual like odor molecules that are on like, that they're searching for is um so if you cut up q-tip heads, right? Um, and it's just the little t- uh cotton part of like the Q-tip head, um, you would basically be marinating like roughly 30 of those in a little uh glass jar with two drops of essential oil odor and then you shake them up and like you take uh three of those out and that's what the dogs are finding so it's like very minuscule amount of actual essential oil um in akc uh scent work it's more odor so like it's basically like almost like i guess one drop of essential oil on a q-tip head, and that's that's like a lot of odor so uh and dogs, when you're training dogs to play in AKC and let's say NACSW, you actually have to train those two different uh, concentrations of odor because they act differently. Because um, it's a lot versus a little, um, and, and it reacts differently to the environment. Um, and so, with cats, I don't know how much you should use because I don't want to say because I do not know, but you're probably going to want to use a teeny tiny tiny amount and like basically vapors as opposed to a drop or anything. Um, yeah, so I would just, I don't even know what I would recommend because I'm not sure.
2: Cool, wow. Mm-hmm. That sounds really challenging. And I just wanna, I would love to see video of folks doing that. Is there there anybody who does work like that, Hannah?
1: Um, I believe that there are are a number of people. I think that the people that I know of in the United States that are doing it, I believe that they're using the NACSW type uh, scented Q-tips. So like that small amount of like vapors, odor. Um, So they're kind of training the cat in the same way that they're doing uh, their dogs. Um, And I believe in uh, Europe, there are people that are doing it as well, but I don't know the concentration of odor that they're using. So Mm -hmm. maybe somebody on here will know and we'll put it down somewhere in the comments.
2: Yeah, please, please. And I know we're running out of time, but I really, really want to ask you Sure. um, This question that it's been burning in my soul. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, so I've been doing some uh, diversity, equity, inclusion work in animal training and uh, because it's really important to me and so many uh, folks that, that, that animal trainers represent the communities that we serve. And uh, a while back, I had kind of looked through the uh, folks who are members of the PPG All About Cat groups, and you were the only other Person of color in that list. And now I know for sure it's different. But this wasn't too long ago, and um, and there's now evidence that BIPOC trainers struggle more than um, other trainers, than non-BIPOC trainers, in uh, in terms of getting into the field, in um, uh, in locating opportunities for education and being able to afford education in animal training. Um, do you have any tips for new trainers, but particularly for trainers from underrepresented communities and just getting started?
1: Um, so the, the cool thing that I was just uh, telling you about, like I think earlier, just in comments and stuff, was just that so my first uh, opportunity that i was given uh, by a, a animal professional was you right when i was still volunteering at like the animal shelter and so that was completely out of curiosity like I'm just you know walking dogs but then I see you um and I forgot the other woman's name uh that uh was uh also a behavior oh
2: Lauren we were at Manhattan Animal Care Center in New York City and so like
1: I just saw both of you sort of taking one dog at a time and going into a mysterious room and then coming back out and getting another dog. And I had no idea like what you were doing at the time. And so I was just curious. And so I asked like, what are you doing? And then I think I said, can I help? (laughs) Um, And so like, uh, A, I would just say, if you are curious about anything to maybe just ask your questions to anyone that, you know, is, uh, intriguing to you and also ask, like, can I do some, can I help, can I do something like and get experience? Um, Because uh, I went the route of uh, just getting a lot of my learning through experience. So uh, after I uh, volunteered with you, um, then I also ended up volunteering at an animal shelter up here, Animal Farm Foundation, and then I did the same thing. <laughs> so all the all the um, staff were walking towards uh, the training building, and I was like, "What are you? Where, where's everyone going?" They're like, "Oh, we're doing like training for all the dogs," and I was like, "Oh, can I come?" <laughs> like, and you know, they said yes. Uh, and so that's how I started, just getting hands-on training and then just learning through experience. Um, and so there are opportunities out there. I think if you put yourself out there, and also uh, at the same time, I I have I do feel like uh, I had maybe at some point in my life, uh, in my professional training life, asked for help um, and then felt like I wasn't getting any. <laughs> but then uh, actually expressing it and then finding people that were saying, no, but I will help you. Um, so it's it's been interesting trying to navigate like that also. Um, cause obviously the people in our industry with lots of power, um, may not hear you. Um, but just, I guess like for me, like I, with my whole, uh, nose work cats thing, like I was like, nobody's doing this in the way that I'm doing it or like trying to do the breadth of like what I'm doing. So, I mean, to a certain extent, like if I just pound enough, like, I mean, people have to notice at some point because nobody else is really doing it that much. So um, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the right answer is, I guess, because sometimes, you know, putting yourself out there is really exhausting. And so, for example, like on Facebook, like I just basically started to not be on Facebook very much because I was just too tired, <laughs> you know? Sure. Um, yeah. And so it's sort of like, I want to say like, you know, like, go out there and like ask questions and like ask for help but at the same time I totally understand the other side of it which is like getting exhausted because that's really difficult or like you're not getting a good response or whatever so like I don't know I I I think that just putting our faces out there also is just really good because then people can see that we're here too so
2: I love it that you're just Um, So I have little kids and my motto to them is be curious and I love it that you just kind of preach that to them. And to all the new trainers out there just be curious ask a lot of questions, Um, but also just because the onus shouldn't be on trainers who are struggling. particularly trainers who have this challenge of being from underrepresented communities, what do you think that leaders in the field out there could do to to foster a community of animal trainers that represents the communities we serve?
1: So like, I almost, like, I used to think that like, they should do something, right? Um, And then that part got so tiring that like, uh i'm really uh inspired by people who are just like well i'm just gonna do it myself so like um i I think it was last year i was uh i was a part of a a conference that was just um for un uh underrepresented uh trainers um presenting um and uh that was just uh something that happened because somebody actually really wanted to do it and they made it happen which is amazing um and so like because like I I my background is like being punk rock and like you know do it yourself like if somebody's not gonna give you an opportunity to like figure it out and like do something on your own like that's always like the way that I would want to go So I don't know. I don't know what anybody else, like the, the people up there should be doing because, (laughs) because like, uh, I don't know. I don't know how fast things change also, you know, like, so I I like your
0: mindset (laughs) because I do think like
1: you have to,
0: you have to make change, you know, where you are and not necessarily. But it would be great if we could all rely on other people to make the changes but yeah
2: and we like, can support yeah. like yeah. Yeah. like you and support uh, i think you were talking about the canine conference in color right yeah. is that the one that you were yeah. Yeah. yeah support the folks who are um uh who are taking the lead uh like the i think who started the canine conference in color i think we'll have to look it up and share it and yeah, let you know how? And oh, Sandy Sharma, yeah. yeah, Sandy yeah. Sharma, that's right. Yeah, we'll post that in the comments so y'all can find it because, um, you know, that's not going to be the last one of those that takes place for sure.
1: Yeah, so like it's amazing that, uh, you know, there was somebody that wanted to really do it and then it made it happen. So Sandy's amazing,
2: yeah.
0: All right, we probably should wrap it up unless you have any more burn, burning in your soul questions. <laughs>
2: <up>. <laughs> last call for burning in your soul questions. I'm I'm pretty good. I'm I'm so excited. Oh. I mean, you know, I could talk to you forever and I hope it's not the last time.
1: And I guess like just uh, as a add on to that last thing that we were talking about, like, uh, so, uh, and every once in a while I get this question, but like, so, uh my online class is, you know, like I, I think it's $35 right now. But like if for some reason you do not have that money, like you should ask me and like tell me like what like just say like you don't have the funds and I will give you options. Like I I recently gave somebody else options and I don't know you know, whether or not they will take the options that I gave them, but you know, it's a, I can have conversations with people about stuff like that. So um, yeah, it's not just what it what it says.
2: Yeah, um, you can't beat that price, but I love it that you say, just ask. And that goes for um, other schools because lots of training schools will offer their courses at a discounted rate or they have scholarships. So if you're a struggling trainer, just ask, don't be afraid to ask because um, in the uh, uh, in this little uh, this little uh, survey that uh, talked about uh, trainers of color, um, it showed that very few BIPOC trainers even knew that there were scholarship opportunities out there, so that's a really good point, just ask. And I, I guess we're gonna put all of the links to all of Hannah's stuff easily accessible somewhere, right, Laura?
0: Yeah, um, I think if you want to post them in our chat or if you want to go in and just post them on the PPG Facebook yourself, um, some some one of us will make sure that it goes up there. For
1: sure.
2: yeah, yeah, put it in the comments of the of the Facebook Live for sure because I know a lot of folks are watching there and it won't get um, erased, but we yeah. and then, when it's, then
0: when it's recorded and uploaded and everything, your bio and your links and everything will definitely be on there too. So everybody should get a chance to go and buy the course and learn about your stuff. Um, so thanks so much for coming thanks today. For it was really cool. The chance. Yes. Thank you so much Hannah. with everyone. Um, and yeah, I think we can wrap it up here.
2: Oh, um, yeah. Thanks, Joe, for letting me take your spot. Be jealous. <laughs> At
0: Clicker Expo right now. So <laughs> we can be jealous of her too. All right. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You're gonna teach me, teach me force free.
2: People can be good and kind and
0: Teach me, teach me for